awesome. Awesome. That was awesome. You guys are awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you are awesome. Sir, you are awesome. Seriously. Awesome. 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 Everything is awesome. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I am your host, Kev, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. And this week I've traded in the beer for coffee because this is an early morning interview uh, that we have not done on this show before. Uh, and this week's guest, really excited to sit down and talk with. Uh, for those that have been listening to this show, you kind of know 2016 was a shitty year for me personally. You know, it was a year where my uncle was diagnosed with cancer went into remission, it came back, and he lost his battle. Uh, And something that I realized during that year is how much Star Wars means to me. And in that year, I discovered a ton of great podcasts that helped me, like, take my mind off of what was going on with my uncle in that year. And one of them, Jeff Stormer introduced me to, was Campaign Pod. And it was such a funny podcast that for an hour at a time... I could sit down and forget my troubles, but still kind of link myself to my uncle with very positive memories from sitting down and watching Star Wars with him as a kid. So I'm so grateful to have this week's guest on because I can personally thank him for making 2016 suck a little less. And so without further ado, the co-founder of the One Shot Podcast Network, he plays back to on Campaign Pod. Please welcome to the show, James D'Amato. James, normally I thank you for being on the show right now, but I'm going to thank you for making 2016 suck just a little less than it did. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I, I'm so glad that I, I could come on, especially uh, since we helped you out. Uh, that, that's great. Yeah, and I have to imagine that at this point, you guys kind of like, I'm not the first one to say, hey, you made my year suck a little yes, or my less, or my day suck less. But uh, as like a fellow podcaster, I know like that wasn't like, that's kind of like a, a thing that's a bonus, I guess, to doing podcasting. When you guys set out to, I know you started with one shot, you know, when you started podcasting, was it ever like a, an incl- uh, inclination that you may have like people say, hey, you made my life better? Uh, you know, no, it, it's not something that I, I think any podcaster really sets out to do. Um, it might be something that people set out to do on their, like, fifth or eighth podcast that they produce. <laughs> um, but, like, a campaign for me, I believe, was my third podcast. Uh, so then we, we still had no idea how many people would be listening to the show and really any conception of how much you can touch people's lives by producing a podcast. So it is, yeah, it is something that, um, you know, I mean, I'm about in June, I'll be about 10 years into podcasting. And I, I want to say, actually, I want about it the reverse way where like, it was, I want to be that guy in the beginning of my podcasting career where I'm like, you know, Oh God, you made my life better. Oh God, here, take all the money. Cause I'm a sponsor. And, <laughs> uh, it, you know, as I've gone further into podcasting, it's slowly turned into like, well, that's not working. Let's just do it for me. And, and that's when it became the most rewarding. And then also you get not necessarily the money because it's podcasting, but, um, you get the people that like, are just very grateful for your show for whatever reason it is. Yeah, certainly to all the people out there uh, dreaming of making their own podcast, I think if your primary motivator is money, uh, you're likely to be disappointed. And it's not to say that 
podcasts can't make money, they certainly can. Um, you know, I'm very close to having uh, podcasting be my primary source of income, but it took years of uh, producing shows to make that happen. Uh, and much, much quicker uh, comes a really creative fulfillment. And if you're not getting that out of podcasting, then I think you are missing this, probably the most beautiful thing about it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's nuts that it took me probably eight and a half, nine years to get to that point. And, uh, and yeah, that's like the advice I give everyone now. And usually, you know, when I talk to other podcasters, this is the conversation we have is like, just, you know, don't do it for money, do it for like, find something that you love to talk about and do it for that because it's going to be way more fulfilling than trying to bust your ass to make money. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, so let's, um, Let's go to the beginning uh, with with you. Where where are you from? Um. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I was born in New York. I was raised most of my young life in Denver, Colorado, and I went to school in Pennsylvania. And right now, I live in Chicago, the podcast capital of the world. Hey, hey, hey! I'm from Philly, and I think we would argue that. Um, what we do have... you have in Philly? <laughs> well, you know Apart what? You're, you're... Yourself. <laughs> well, Jeff Stormer. I know he's the buddy of yours. Yes, uh... yes, I do. I do love Jeff very much. Uh, no, it's it's actually yeah. You know, Chicago is like one of the the first cities that I did like hear a lot of like the big pie. Obviously, like New York and L.A. have a lot of like the mainstream ones, but Chicago definitely has a lot of like. What is, I guess, have become mainstream, but like to me, they're still truly indie. Um, and but, not, but I mean, you have to keep in mind WBEZ is in Chicago. Uh, this American Life started in Chicago. Uh, that's and when you think of it, that's a podcast before podcasts. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I just, I say, I say that because I feel like Philly is like insanely strong for being nothing but indie. Uh, podcasters uh, I think we have I think overdue is like one of the most mainstream ones that we have in the area uh, but like it's I, just the podcasting community in general um, is something that's something else I discovered like when I stopped looking at it from a money point of view is like no matter where you're from whether it's a local community like Philadelphia or Chicago or just nationally or internationally like everyone's super supportive of one another Absolutely. I mean, it, I don't think there's too much advantage to being in a local podcast scene beyond it being slightly easier to record uh, guest performances. Um, and that's really, I don't know, for a given value of easy, because yes, I can have a lot of people on my show in person, um, which is really good for audio quality, but you also then have to convince somebody to leave their home, which uh, I think is harder. Um, yes. But yeah, podcasting is, is such a great community. No matter where you live, uh, I have found that most podcasters are friendly. Uh, they're willing to give so much of their time uh, to you know help you make uh, a really fun and interesting product. I love being a podcaster because I love connecting with podcasters all over the country, all over the world. Um, it's just a super exciting medium to be a part of. Yeah, and and you're part of like two awesome communities because it's the podcasting community, and then 
uh, tabletop, specifically like tabletop RPGs, is another community that I discovered in the last like year, year and a half. That is super like friendly and welcoming. And oh, like, sorry, my my phone went. Up. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the RPG community is just super friendly and just like the podcast community, like very welcoming. I, you know, I've always kind of had an interest in, in tabletop RPG, uh, but it wasn't until probably about a year and a half, two years ago where my friends finally were like, hey, we want to we want to do this. And I was like, oh, finally, like I have a group of friends that want to meet to do this. And 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 then I discovered like Too Cool for Tabletop, Jeff Stormer's Party of One podcast campaign and the One Shot podcast and all these great like just tabletop podcasts that remind me that, you know, they're as strong as the podcasting community in general. Yeah, I feel truly fortunate to be a part of the gaming community at this time. Uh, I, I think the majority of gamers are such nice, friendly people. And very much like podcasting, uh, there's sort of an even playing field. Uh, I, even the big publishers are, you know, manned uh, and uh, controlled by really accessible people. If you go to a gaming convention, you can talk to... Uh, the it people of some of the most popular gaming franchises. Like I think really the only exception is probably wizards of the coast and D and D like that group of people, well, I guess in fantasy flight games, like it's, it's harder to have a conversation with those people, but you, you still can. Uh, yeah. So it's this wonderful close knit community to be a part of. And right now it is also a revolution for the industry in tabletop gaming. Uh, with the long, with the advent of crowdfunding, uh, our, our publishing system finally works. Uh, before, Tabletop just didn't have a publishing system that worked for really at all, and the only games that could succeed were games that started with a pretty significant initial investment, which, uh, you know, for something that's analog and not likely to sell too many units, that just doesn't make sense. Um, but Thanks to Kickstarter, if you have an idea and people like that idea, you can just make it. Uh, you know, you obviously have to be a little bit Kickstarter savvy and know how to promote something like that. But, you know, the, there's no limitation. There's nobody who's standing at the industry with their arms crossed saying, no, you can't do this because I haven't approved your idea. All you need to be able to do is communicate your idea to other people and then, bam, you can make a product. Yeah, I mean that's the uh, Kickstarter. You know that I forget when that came on my radar. I think it, the first time it came on my radar was when Boss Monster, uh, the the dungeon building card game, was, mm, was yeah. on there, and that was kind of like right around then. I feel was the boom of Kickstarter for game publishing because. Ever since then, like it's and not just like analog games, like even like indie, like uh, video game um, publishers that want to put out like old school eight bit art games, which I love because I'm I'm a you know uh, an old head when it comes to video games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they all those you know game publishers are just finding so much success on Kickstarter and it's great. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I- Kickstarter has just been a miracle for this industry. Again, it's the sort of thing where we were probably, except for the major, major publishers as an industry, just on the verge of collapse. Um, And this 
thing came up where all of a sudden you don't need to convince a bank or some other type of investor that your idea has merit. You just have to communicate directly with the people who are going to buy it. And then, bam, everything changed. You know, we, we had all these small publishing houses that are now, like, if you're part of the indie tabletop community, household names, uh, people like Evil Hat. And I think even Pilgrim Press, who's doing quite well, uh, and was doing quite well before uh, this publishing boom, they just exploded and became so much more successful. And it's it just helps everybody. Like it doesn't ha- like the success of one company doesn't mean it's a shame for another. Like it helps the whole gaming community from the player to the publisher. Yes, it is uh, very much a case of uh, the rising tide uh, raises all ships uh, in, in our industry, and and I think that lack of competition that uh you know there's no if someone doesn't buy my game they're buying someone else's game mentality uh being absent has made it a friendlier community has made it more accessible to people um and you know i won't go ahead and say that gaming is super accessible to everybody uh and i think thankfully most of the people that i work with in the industry are working on changing that we want to broaden that playing field and get more people involved because it means a stronger industry. Yeah. So, so where did, um, the, like your love of gaming come? Like, where did that origin story start? Uh, so that for me started in college. Uh, I wasn't really much of an analog gamer. I played tons of video games, but, uh, I first got involved in role-playing in college because there was a big, uh, like, nerdy uh, analog gaming club at my school called uh, Argo, the Allegheny Role-Playing and Gaming Organization. Um, And they were hosting a, like, beginner game on campus where, where you could where they had a DM who, who was playing like a one to 20 campaign for people who had never played a role-playing game before. And uh, it wasn't something that I would normally have been interested in, but uh, there was a girl who was uh, in this game who I was trying to get to know. Uh, and I figured joining a role-playing game would be a great way to do that. Uh, my buddy was, was part of the game and he like, wasn't having a great time with it. So I'm like, Hey, dude, give me your spot so that I can get in the game and and meet this person. And, uh, it ended up working out for me because, uh, not, not only did I get to know, uh, that person not much better. Uh, I also ended up with a lifelong hobby that, uh, is slowly turning into a career. So I, I don't think a situation like that can work out better for somebody. But uh, for, for all of those curious, yes, I am a fake geek boy. Uh, <laughs> doing the hobby merely to get closer to the ladies. <laughs> That's such an interesting uh, like outtake on it because it's like it's rare – Mainstream uh, media would never paint the light of join a geek RPG club to meet the the girl. 
Like, well, I think that's because mainstream media is still being run by uh, previous generations. You know, uh, yes. folks, folks uh, who are left over from from Gen X and the baby boomer generations are, are still in charge. So they won't approve a script where there is a diverse group of people playing games because they're still picturing, you know, nerdy white kids in their basements. And, and that's not true anymore. Uh, yeah, and that and that's like my big that's issue. Probably never with, true. Oh yeah, and that's my issue with Big Bang Theory is like it, it depicts like that kind of nerd where it's just a bunch of white nerdy. Well, I mean, I guess there's it is a little diverse. There isn't it's there's Raj or whatever, but it, it's uh it, yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't paint uh, the nerdum in its true light. Like I think Community did a great job in showing yes. what nerds are actually like. Absolutely, I, I I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and there are some shows. Uh, that depict D and D and role playing uh, in a much more accurate way. But you know, if you look at ninety percent of let's play D and D plots in television and uh, movies, it is nerdy white kids, and more than that, the dungeon master is always an enormous jerk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I, as much as I love Dexter's Lab, and the Dexter's Lab D and D episode was like kind of a fun. Uh, thing to have, you know, it was still the dungeon master being like a maniacal jerk and everybody in the party, like sort of struggling through it. Like you can't imagine how that would be fun. And I will say those depictions of role-playing are something that kept me from it for a huge portion of my life because I thought, Hey, well, I don't want to be a huge nerd. Uh, that's right. The, a person who played a bunch of video games and watched anime didn't want to be a nerd. Um, but I also didn't want to play a game where, you know, somebody was just a dick to you. That wasn't yeah. fun. Well, and I think uh, Stranger Things, not that that was the focus of the show, but like that first episode kind of, I think, depicted it really well. Like that was like a, like a perfect introduction to the mainstream audience of this is what D&D actually is, especially in like the 80s. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many articles I see. Anytime D&D is depicted anyway, this was, like, really prevalent uh, with community and uh, really good for uh, freaks and geeks, and, and now especially with Stranger Things, where we read the think piece that's like, D&D is the real winner from this successful media franchise. Uh, but I gotta say, man, oh man, was the depiction of Dungeons & Dragons and Stranger Things so good i'm excited for the next season because i don't oh. want to see where they'll take it yeah i when stranger things came out i was uh i was interviewing some people out in la um about uh once upon a time or something and they asked me you know we started talking about what we were watching and you know i was like oh yeah i'm watching the flash right now like, that's my jam right now and uh they're like have you been watching stranger things i'm like what no that looks like a silly show and they said no no you have to sit down and watch it and it took me i think it was out for like a month month and a half before i sat down and like started binging it and right from like the the intro of that show is what grabbed me and i was hooked and i i'm right there with you cannot wait for season two love all like the promotional stuff that they put out for it already yeah yeah exactly i i love that they're probably fighting a thessal hydra it's awesome 
it's it is uh such a such a good time to be a geek i think like as much as like old media is still running a lot of things like the netflix and the new media uh outlets that we have i think really kind of get it and they like i mean and and to see how far like D has really come is like there's so many like mainstream celebrities that drop it like randomly will say something about yeah yeah i me and my D club or whatever uh and i think that's so neat that like we're finally like our generation is finally like the it crowd on tv and like they have no problem talking about playing D magic or whatever absolutely i mean yeah, I, I really do like the destigmatizing of some of those hobbies uh it's i mean video games are now whether whether the baby boomer generation wants to admit it or not video games are uh the primary mass culture like the video game industry is bigger than movies so uh, somebody's interests in gaming uh in one way or another i i think we're past the point where it makes you other uh, to have that interest. And I'm excited for the kids who get to grow up in that environment. Oh, I can't wait until I have two children. I have a, a five-year-old son and a, and a, she'll be three, my daughter in, in May. I can't wait. Like, he's old enough to like sit down and start playing some video games with. Uh, I can't wait till he's old enough for me to sit down and do tabletop with. Oh, uh, and, and I've actually like seeked out, the, like and I, there was one on Kickstarter, I forgot what it was. Um, but there were like a kid-friendly tabletop RPG game. And that would be No Thank You Evil. Oh yeah, yeah, by Monty Cook Games. There you go. Yeah, and um, I looked at it and I was like, you know what? My kid just does not have the attention span to sit down and do this. So, uh, in a couple of years, I feel like I'm going to be able to do it. But that's like, I love being able to share my dirt, my nerdum with my kids and make sure that they grow up right, not liking the Star Wars prequels and making sure that they know what's what. Um, and yeah, it's just like the next generation is going to, as far as this kind of stuff is concerned, plenty of other real life problems to worry about, but this won't be one of them. This will be something that's just openly accepted now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it is the sort of thing where you're worried about before, like, do I want to pass on this hobby? Because it, it could be tough for them growing up, you know, with, with the stigma, but you know, it's, it's not there now, thankfully. Yeah, I mean, I remember, and this is, God, I haven't ta- used this reference in forever, but, you know, when Force Awakens came out, I saw a commercial uh, of a kid who built an R2-D2 unit to ask a girl out to go see the Star Wars movie. And I saw that, I was like, that kid, like, that was me in high school, but I would have been thrown into a locker. Like, there's no way, this, <laughs> what, what world are we living in now? That's when I really knew that, like, geeks took over the world, like, we rule it now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, all right. So so college is where your your D and D slash tabletop archie kind of kicked off. Mm-hmm. Um, what what transitioned that into like a podcast? Like, what made you? What got you into podcasting? And what made you choose tabletop? To, well, maybe One Shot wasn't your first podcast. Maybe yeah. I'm pre- preempting the question here. Let's start with podcasting. So podcasting I got into because my buddy Alex Manich uh, was a fan of the Improv for Humans podcast on Earwolf. Uh, and we were, at the time, going through the Second City Conservatory. And shortly before our graduation, 
Alex uh, like showed me this podcast, and I just loved it. Not 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 only did I love that podcast, I love the medium of podcasting in general. And it wasn't too long after we started listening to the show that we decided, you know, hey, we've got all the comedy skills. Uh, all we really need is a microphone, and then we can do our own podcast. So. <laughs> Alex and I had like sort of gone back and forth and talked about it. So I just, you know, went in for it and I spent $150 on a USB microphone and uh, decided to start the show. So, so we started doing a show called The Overshare, which was really essentially just a ripoff of Improv for Humans. Uh, and we did that for about a year. And we did it pretty seriously. Uh, there were very few weeks where we missed an episode. Uh, we were we had this commitment uh, for the first two years when we were doing incredibly incredibly seriously that we would not record an episode unless there was a female performer present because we're like you know we're in Chicago comedy. It's not not just lazy but irresponsible of us to air something without uh, a lady performer. And I think that only really dropped off in the third year that we were doing it uh, when I was doing one shot and it, it just, it became too much for me to be part of the booking. And so Alex was just trying to keep his head above water with all the other things that he was doing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like we, we were very seriously doing it. Because we were seriously doing it, uh, we hooked up with our friend, uh, Patrick O'Rourke, who at the time ran a media company called Peaches and Hot Sauce, where they were producing a lot of podcasts and video projects. Um, and about, uh, I want to say, six months into our relationship with Pat, uh, he came to me and was like, hey, I like this other show on the Earwolf Network called Nerd Poker. And I know, and for those who don't know, uh, Nerd Poker is Brian Posehn's D&D uh, podcast uh, that he does with some of his comedian friends. Um, he's like, I, I like this show. I know that you're into tabletop gaming. Uh, could you develop something like this for Peaches and Hot Sauce? So I listened to Nerd Poker, and it was another thing where, man, I, I, I really like this show. Um, and I listened to the other actual play podcasts that were out there. And I noticed there was a bit of a gap because everything I was listening to, they're either playing Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. And 90% of the time when they were doing a Pathfinder game, they were playing through Rise of the Rune Lords. Uh, so I looked at this and I was like, huh, there's really something here because it's super enjoyable to listen to people play this game. And I've always wanted to find a way to export the joy that I get from role playing. And recording it and distributing it seems like the ticket. Um, so I, I was like, this industry is wonderful. There's a, such a diverse amount of games and uh, genres of games out there. Let's create a show where we can show that off. So the premise of One Shot is just that I would do a different game system every recording session. You know, we, we'd record something. We break it down into hour-long episodes and distribute it, and just about every month we'd have a new game with a new cast of players. And I, I brought in uh, my best friend, Cat Cool, um, who sort of helped me 
build the format for this show, and she was part of the first few episodes, and she went on to produce campaign. Um, I, I brought her in to do it, and because of that and so many other factors, uh, because it struck like a, a little bit of a unique nerve at the time, like now our concept is not as unique as it was when we started doing it, um, yeah. but because of all of that, like so many different factors, One Shot turned out to be a success. And uh, it grew very, very quickly, and we, from there, sort of turned it into this thing that, that's becoming a profession for us. Um, I don't know that we could do that again now, but we were certainly very lucky that we started doing it when we started doing it. And uh, I think we were pretty smart to uh, choose the format that we ended up choosing. Um, and, but yeah, that, that's essentially how I got into it. Yeah, I I love the and and ironically I didn't get into like I just started binging one shot because I you know I as a podcast I don't I don't know if you have this problem but I have this problem where I have so much content that I that I want to listen to mm-hmm. on top of what I'm creating so um, I have uh, like when I finally like I would say I started campaign uh, in I think I, I looked back at my at my records and it was around June uh, of 2016 right like right before my uncle went into remission I started to listen to it and then when he when he when it came back I started listening to it hard and binging it every day so like I say an hour at a time you guys helped me it really was like you know, I would listen to it pretty much every free moment that I had uh, because I had so many backlog episodes to listen to. So now that I'm finally like catching up on that, I'm like, all right, now, now that I am uh, out of campaign binging, I'm I'm starting to binge one shot. But it is, yeah, I was introduced to the one like a one shot format through Jeff actually because he does that two player uh, one shot kind of kind of deal. And he turned me on to you guys. Uh, Too Cool for Tabletop is another one that started out as a one-shot podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, like, it is It is funny that it's not necessarily a unique thing anymore. I, last year, to me, I was like, this is the most unique entertainment I've ever heard. And now that, like, I see what's out there, it's not. But it <laughs> is, like, you guys seemingly look like you kind of started that one-shot idea. Um, and it is, it's, it's great that you guys hit it when you had to. Hey there, super friends. It's Kev. I'm just going to interrupt this show for a minute or two so I can do some housekeeping. If you want to help support this show, you can do it in several different ways. One of those ways, I'll read your name on air right here. Not not just your name, but your whole review uh, by leaving a five-star review uh, or any review, really. I'll read all of them. But hopefully you're kind enough to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to our iTunes page, subscribe to the page. That way you don't miss an episode. And, of course, leave that five-star text review. iTunes math does a lot of good things that make more people listen to the show. And that means more cool things happen to Everything is Awesome. Another way that you can support is word-of-mouth recommendations. Just tell friends to listen to Everything is Awesome. Put it on when you're carpooling together on your way to work or on your way to Comic-Con or whatever. And the final way, this one may cost you a little bit of money, uh, but that's okay. If you go to patreon.com slash thatentertains, the other ways you help support us are just as good, free for nothing, help us. But this one, if you pledge some money to us, we'll give you some more stuff in return. You know, we... And by we, I mean Jason Ashley from Too Cool for Tabletop and I. We like to say $12 a year, bro. $1 a month uh, is really nothing to you. You skip 
anything for one day and that's more than a dollar uh, and that helps make uh, our dreams come true really if i'm going to be honest that's entertainment uh which is what funds this podcast is running a patreon patreon.com slash that entertains and i mean really honestly if we could hit 25 dollars a month of support that would be wonderful it means bills are covered for us and that's really all i want at the end of the day and everything else is just icing on the cake means we get to do more upgrades means we get to create more content and a lot of the stuff that we want to do is at least early access for you guys that pledge to us on patreon.com slash that entertains or we'll even do some exclusive content we're working on some things um now that we're thinking of for exclusive content that we'll do randomly throughout the year and whatnot so again, if you want to help support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash that entertains, not just supporting this podcast, but you're supporting that's entertainment, which means that even more content besides this podcast will come at you. We're talking skits, sketches, web series, movies, a whole ton of content that we have that we want to do that will eventually get done anyway, but with your help, we can get it done sooner. If you don't want to spend any cash, I completely get it. I understand it iTunes reviews help us tremendously, as well as word of mouth recommendations. Finally, you can also go to um, the contact page on awesomepodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We're going to start sending out weekly reminders of the things that we've posted throughout the week, as well as spotlights on the guests that we've had on our podcasts. Um, And we're also going to be sending out reminders or notifications about new things that we're working on, events that we're going to be doing and whatnot. So uh, just another place to get some more detailed information. We're going to try to make it unique enough for you so that it's worth us invading your inbox. This has been more than a minute or two. So let's get back to the conversation. Makes it harder for me when I want to go. And like, literally, we sat down, me and my buddies, and we said, let's let's create something. And this was like probably right before I started listening to campaign. I was like, let's sit down and like, let's record our our D sessions like it's why not it's fun and we you know we'll just throw it out there see what happens and then i started listening to the campaign i was like well what's the point when we're not that funny like <laughs> well i don't think i i don't want to discourage anybody from getting involved uh, <laughs> like because uh, again you you never know uh i i, I don't know that we because like I started this because I was trying to develop a show that was like Brian Posehn's show, you know? Yeah. There's, I, 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 that, that is a huge shadow to start it, to be like, oh yeah, uh, fantastically talented, uh, comedian and actor, Brian Posehn. Let's, uh, let's do something like he's doing. Um, and I, I don't think, uh, that you could have told me that like, yeah, in a couple of years time, you will be one of the top names in this space. Uh, and, you know, like, it's not like we're the biggest. I mean, Fear the Boot is still, like, I think one of the biggest uh, names in the tabletop game. And now the Adventure Zone has entered the scene as well. So you've got the McElroy family, the massive podcasting yeah. monolith, uh, also part of this space. But, like, we're, we're doing quite well for ourselves, um, and I, I don't think that should discourage anybody from starting their own, because you, who knows, you could just strike a nerve, and you could be one of the it podcasts in a couple of years, but also, that's not a great reason to start doing it. 
Yeah, yeah, it it, it is a weird thing, and, and like I say, you know, I mean, obviously, you guys are very funny, and and I, I, we it made us rethink how, or it made me rethink how I want to eventually launch it, and and it kind of actually helped me reform the whole idea of how we're running our our little measly entertainment company, and 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 how we're going to launch it down in, in the future, um, which is like you know it's. What is like? I, I'm sure, aside from people saying, "Oh, you make my life better," like I did in the beginning of the episode, I'm sure there's cats out there that have said, "Like, hey, you guys inspire me to do blah 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 blah." Like, what's what's has that happened, and what's I mean, that like? Oh yeah, I mean, Jeff Stormer is is a great case. Um, I actually he posted, I think, after doing the podcast for a year or two years, he. I think it's probably just one year. Uh, yeah. He made a post about how uh, he had sent us an email that uh, he had deleted, but it was the thing that inspired him to start his show. And I saved everything, so I had that email that I uh, searched through my archives and had like uh, sent to him. Uh, so, like, Jeff had contacted me because, you know, our format of, of trying out new games and, and showing them off had inspired him to do Party of One. And there are so many other wonderful podcasts. Uh, the Redemption podcast, which is a Star Wars actual play, um, was inspired by Campaign, um, or at least had some inspiration drawn uh, from Campaign. And uh, my friend Pranks Paul, uh, who is a lawyer and I think uh, otherwise would not have gotten into podcasting, uh, is now managing uh, Never Tell Me the Pods, which which I am s- sort of a co-host on. Except you know that the show, all the show really needs is Pranks uh, to be a show. But I, I don't think he would be podcasting if we weren't like uh, she's a super geek, which is. One of my favorite tabletop podcasts that, that focuses on uh, female GMs. Uh, that podcast uh, started because uh, they were inspired by one shot. So it's really cool to see all of the creativity that has sprung out of what we did. Um, that's what I love about podcasting is it's a sort of thing where you can hear something and love something and then decide, oh, the barrier between me loving this thing and me doing this thing is basically non-existent. Like, you do need enough money to purchase a microphone, uh, but if you're doing it with a couple other people, like, you can pool your resources on that, and you can start producing right away. Yeah, and I'm see, it's 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 there's two mindsets when it comes to podcasting too. There's there's the people that are like, well, that already exists. Why do it? Like that's what that's Reddit. <laughs> that's that yeah. is if you go to the Reddit podcasting communities, uh that that's their mindset. Uh, and then there's other people and I'm I'm one of these is like, why not? Like do it. And it doesn't even have to sound like it has to sound decent enough, but like I've I'm a huge supporter of the the um that if it if it's just good content, if the content's good, then a lot of people will forgive your your learning mistakes, your your growing pains as you get into podcasting. And much like I mean, Kevin Smith says it all the time when he when he's doing his million podcasts, like go out there and, and everyone has a story, everyone should do a podcast. And I'm like I'm right there with it. Like there's no reason that you can't start a podcast because you, everyone has something interesting to say, or you love something with enough passion that you can turn that into a podcast. And I mean, if someone says, well, that already exists, don't do it. I mean, 
for instance, if someone said that to you, maybe one shot wouldn't exist because, you know. Yeah, they would have pointed out the other, the other like obscure RPG show that like started a month before us that also had our concept. Uh, yeah, I think most of the people who will advise you away from doing something that already exists are people who are producing their third or fifth podcast where that idea wouldn't make sense for them to invest their time into because they already understand how everything works and they are now trying to produce podcasts to specifically build an audience. And if your big goal is to be super marketable, be able to build a gigantic audience and uh, start a new podcasting, like an industry-focused podcast, then, yeah, you know, you probably don't want to uh, do an idea that's already out there because, uh, you know, like it was with our show, it's going to be easier for a show with uh, a little bit of a more unique voice to take off. Um, but you, I think that's terrible advice to a new podcaster. For a new podcaster, you have to do what you care about. And then when you're doing your second, your third, your fourth podcast, uh, that's when you can sort of uh, take the temperature of the industry and launch something that is designed to be unique and add a bunch of people to it. Never let anyone stop you. Yeah. And, and me, I just do the same thing as a new podcaster on my 13th podcast. I'm like, you know what the world needs? Another interview show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm, again, like it's it's I think because I went it, because if you go into it like the the way a seasoned podcaster might do it, I think if you if there's I think if you're a creative person, you're going to eventually get to the point that says I don't. You know, I just want to do it for me now. And I think mm-hmm. that's like I said, I mean, I, I would venture to say that uh, my the audience of this show is probably the average size of the audience I've ever had. I've had bigger audiences when I really like was gung ho about whatever I was doing um, at the time. But like this is like the most rewarding because it's more rewarding creatively. And I think that's. You know, I think that's the most important thing when it comes to the podcasting medium, because as we mentioned, it's a medium that that is literally a second job. It's it's and you don't get paid for it. It's it's I probably put up close to 30 hours a week into podcasting on Mm -hmm. top of my day job. So like it's insane of the amount of work that you're going to put into it. But if you do it for love versus money, it's so rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel exactly the same way. I I probably put about 40 hours a week into one shot and related projects. Um, And thankfully, uh, I have been able to cut my day job down to part time. Uh, But, you know, if you step back and look at it, that's still like a 70 hour week that I'm putting in, which is way too much work. Um, So... It's something that you have to be passionate about. Um, and if you're not excited about it, if you're not passionate about it, it is not a project that works for you. Uh, and, and speaking of one shot and related projects, um, I do want to get into, uh, you know, NPC and and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this Paracosm Impress. Yes. Okay. So where, where, how did that develop? Um, so uh, I think pretty shortly after I started doing one shot, uh, one of the things that I realized about the gaming industry is there's also really no barrier to entry uh, for producing a game. Like a game 
does not mean a published volume that's uh, over 300 pages with glossy color photos and a hardback book around it. Uh, a game is something as simple as Everyone is John, which is really just a couple paragraphs uh, written out and distributed on the internet. Um, so I, so I wanted to make my own game, and, and Kat felt the same way. Uh, so we started working on a game project that is currently on hiatus because we're too busy with all of our other thousand projects. Um, and we, I think the publishing company went through a couple iterations. For a while, we were Tenpenny Press, and then we found another Tenpenny Press operating somewhere. Uh, so we shifted over to Paracosm Press, a uh, name that is uh, so foreign to people and unpronounceable and hard to spell that it's probably not the best name, but uh, <laughs> meaning-wise, it's great because a Paracosm is a very detailed uh, and vivid fictional universe. Um, so it, it fits uh, what we care about quite well, um, but we... Uh, we're working on this other game, and we were, you know, facing a lot of design issues, and we're still, you know, weren't wondering how are we going to do this Kickstarter. Uh, when I did an interview with Kat, where we went on this variety show in Chicago called Geek Show, and the host brought out this game called uh, Utter Nonsense, which is another Chicago-born party game. And the point of the game is to uh, do different accents. Um, and you read these phrase cards and those accents, uh, and it's, it's just a lot of fun as a party game. Uh, but I found that the jokes were like more on the Cards Against Humanity scale of humor. So like there were a lot of funny things, and, and speaking in accents, whether they're good or bad, is always funny. Like, yeah. it's, it's just fun to perform like that with people. Uh, but the cards just had a ton of shock humor. And, you know, Kat and I came away from that being like, man, we really like this game concept. And this game concept is so useful for gaming because there are so many people who don't feel comfortable using voices at the table. And for us, using character voices is just one of the most fun things in the world. So yeah. we wanted to take that and make it easier for and more familiar and useful to gamers, um, and at the same time, uh, take humor and, and make it our own. Uh, take that concept and make it something that like isn't going to ostracize people uh, of a certain race, people of a certain ethnicity or culture, uh, and instead just you know make it make it about games and, and make all those jokes about gaming. Uh, so we. Over the course of a couple months, uh, put, or not, not, not a couple months, a couple weeks. Um, oh, wow. We put together noisy person cards. We put together a 150-card uh, like proof-of-concept set that we brought to a convention called Metatopia, which is a playtesting convention uh, that happens in Morristown, New Jersey, every year. Yes. Um, so we, we took this concept to Morristown and showed it off to people. And they loved it. 
uh, like, it was just so successful. Like, the, the first round, you know, we, we had everybody who said that they were going to do the playtest came and did the playtest, and they had fun. But the second round of playtesting, we had twice as many people as had signed up. And we were in this, like, large ballroom. We had a table of, like, ten people who were roaring with laughter at each uh, performance. Every person's, like, read of the cards. And it sort of drowned out all the other tables in the room. And, like, Kat and I knew, like, man, we got a hit on our hands. Uh, so yeah. we worked very quickly after that to develop the rest of the game. Um, and we threw that up on Kickstarter. Um, primarily because, like, we wanted to learn how Kickstarter works. Um, because, you know, we had seen a lot of Kickstarters, we'd helped a lot of people with Kickstarters, but we had never run one ourselves. Um, so, and, and I, I'd say just now, uh, we are sort of exiting the Kickstarter process. Uh, we have finally uh, started international shipping, which is uh, the really the last step that we had in our Kickstarter journey, the journey with Noisy Person Cards. Um, and so now it's time to breathe a sigh of relief and uh, really uh, start sinking into our other projects. Now, does uh, does NPC does that end, like is it end with Kickstarter or is it available at game and hobby shops? Uh, it's something that I would love to be able to talk about, but I cannot currently. But people will see news about it uh, in the next couple of months, I think. Well, that sounds great, and uh, so more projects coming from uh, you guys as far as games are concerned. That's mm -hmm. exciting. Um, are you going back to that one that you were talking about earlier that hit that hit a railroad, or is it going to be something new? It's going to be something uh, that comes out before that, I think. Um, what we are working on for our next project is... A board game aimed at uh, younger kids. I and for that I'm talking about like the six to ten age bracket, um, maybe six to twelve if we're lucky. Uh, that sort of bridges the gap between role playing and uh, and board games. Uh, so we we kind of want to introduce uh, role-playing concepts that will make role-playing games less foreign to kids as they grow up. Um, and, you know, just make a more fun game for the family on that. Uh, and I think that's what we're trying to have something ready for the next Metatopia. Uh, but it's a matter of, you know, Kat and I being able to get together and work on it. That uh, that is a project that it perks my ears, and I will be looking out for in intently uh, as I try to get my kid into RPG. <laughs> um, so one of the, another interesting, I, I, I don't do any research on my guests. It's it's one of the things my audience knows. I I like to to have a more natural conversation, something that might happen if we're having a beer at a bar or something, uh, but. Because, you know, I follow you guys uh, somewhat regularly with campaign and now one shot and whatnot. Like, I, obviously, I know some things. Uh, and one thing that I, that I came across that I thought was interesting, and I, I didn't pin it, and, and I should have, because you work with comedians on, on your podcast and whatnot. Uh, but that you actually, and you mentioned it earlier in the interview, that you, you wanted to be a comedian and are, a, a, you know, a paid comedian now for, you know, what you do on your, on your podcast network and whatnot. So w when did... 
where does your comedy or being a comedian, do you do that at all with all these other projects? Do you go and do stand up or improv I mean, or whatever? So that, that's, I, for me, that's what these projects are. Um, okay. like one shot is primarily a comedy thing. I mean, right now the series that we're putting out is more dramatic, but 90% of the episodes that are on one shot are comedy games. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I, I really love comedy. Um, I love performing. Uh, I love making people laugh. Um, the thing that I don't really love is the theater system. Uh, whether you are a stand-up or an improviser or really whatever format you present your comedy in, uh, most of the time you are not really in control of that product. Like You don't control when you get to go on stage. Uh, you don't control what the environment is like, who's watching, which audience you're playing to. Uh, and we have a system now that really only benefits uh, the owners of those theaters. And I'd, I'd, I'd argue in most cases, even even they don't benefit that much from the way they run things. Um, so, like, while I love the theaters in Chicago and I owe a lot to them because of the skills they helped me develop, I don't think they are worth my time right now. I, I think it's a lot more exploitative uh, than I feel comfortable with as a performer. And I am much more comfortable like doing something that is relevant to a hobby that I am very passionate about and helping to provide a platform to other performers uh, so that they can build an audience. Well, and I mean, that kind of just goes back to what we've said about podcasting throughout the episode is, is doing something, doing it in a way where you have your passion and it doesn't get old or it doesn't feel like work or, or whatever. Um, and that, that's such an, that's an interesting thought. Cause I, I am someone like I'm 32, I'll be 33 this year. And I've had this interest in improv for, for years where I don't know why. And I was like, like last year I was going to go take a class and like this year I, I think it's finally going to happen. Uh, and we, I've sat down with buddies of mine that are comedians and they're like, why would you want to do improv? Why would, you know, that's, and I guess there's a whole stand up <laughs> versus improv thing. Um, I mean, there is for the stand ups. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think stand up comedy is uh, like, I, I was a stand up in high school and uh, through college Um And it's a medium that I really respect. Um, You know, it's something that's very personally driven. And uh, I I talked about not being in control of like a lot of what you can do. Stand up, you have full artistic control of the show. It's all material coming from you that you're performing, uh, which is great. Uh, But you have no control really over the stage system. And the open mic system is ludicrous and awful. Uh, so like, I, I, I really respect stand-up comics, but I think because stand-up is so difficult because like the theater system there is very predatory because it's an intensely competitive world. Like it does in stand-up, someone else's success does mean, uh, less success for you. Um, Mm -hmm. because of that, they tell themselves stories about why what they're doing is the most proper thing. Uh, so it leads to a lot of, you know, oh, improv isn't real comedy uh, because it's like, whose line is it anyway? And like jokey cruise ship improv, which, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't 
I, I don't really want to knock those forms of improv either, because like, hey, if it makes people laugh, it, it's comedy. Uh, yeah. But they, they've also never seen Chicago long form improv. That 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 is real art there. I, I can't say that you can make a qualitative assessment of stand up versus improv. Uh, and if you are, you're only saying that because you feel deeply insecure at the core of your being. Well, and, and for me, what it comes down to, like, when I think about, like, what do I want to do, like, now, like, and it's, at this point, it's more kind of like a, like, eh, this would be fun to try out. Like, why not? Like, it goes back to the whole why not thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, but the one thing I, I, I'm like a super, grew up as a super shy kid, like not your, you know, not your typical, like, goofball or anything. Um, but like, I like to, I like to make jokes. I like to, to write funny things down and whatnot, but when I'm the idea of stand up comedy on my own versus doing improv with what, whether it's just a buddy improv system or with a whole group, like mm-hmm. I feel way more comfortable being on stage with a group of people and, and than just myself, but there would be a lot less sweat coming from my body. I'm sure. Uh, and, and that's like where I'm at with it. Like I, I and it's, I've been trying to get improvers on this show to talk about. And like the two that I booked before, like backed out at the last minute, I'm like, God damn it. I just want to sit down and talk improv. <laughs> Um, and it is something that like, I true like I, this year I'm going to try to make happen big time. Just like, not only like, so, so we do our podcast, everything is awesome. We do it live, uh, you know, every once in a while we try to do like a late night show talk show format. And, you know, that's when the moment that that, that developed, which was for the Philadelphia podcast festival last year, I was like, you know, what would be a whole, make a whole lot of sense is taking an improv class. Cause like, that's all this is, is like me doing improv on the mic. So like, let me hone my skills or let me get skills. Cause I'm not that funny. So let me, let me sit down and like learn how to hone being funny and whatnot through improv and, and, uh, go from there. And that's like kind of where I'm at with it. Like I'm like improv is just a huge interest of mine. Yeah. I, I think improv is great. And I think it's something that almost anyone can benefit from trying out. Uh, I, I was just talking about how I don't like the predatory theater system. Uh, whether like that aside, I think if you or somebody who has been considering improv either as, you know, a skill to pick up for a career path or, as uh, something that you've always wanted to try, uh, you should definitely go out and take a class. Um, the The theater system really doesn't enter into the picture of just picking up the skills. Um, and I, I think improv is just a wonderful thing. Uh, it, it really helped me a great deal. Like I would not, I, I don't think the shows that I'm doing now would be nearly as entertaining as they are without my background in improv. And I mean, and I think you mentioned it earlier. I mean, that's kind of what role playing is like yes. at the end of the day, it's just improv. Um, and it's, it's something that like my buddy who, who runs the game, I was like, we should really like go. And like, I know everyone else doesn't have this huge interest in improv or like that. No one else really wants to turn this into a podcast, but like you have that mindset, like why not let's go together and hell if it works out and we take more and more classes and, and we just really hone our skills, we can do our, like, our own little like improv team it would be great and that's like that's what i'm really working on I'm trying to get hit twist his arm to go he's just uh you know <laughs> something about money or whatever i'm like come on dude once in a lifetime opportunity um but yeah it's it's uh 
I, I, I do before we go because we're getting near the the end of our hour here. Uh, I just once again I, I have to thank you and and Cat and everyone that's part of campaign and the One Shot Podcast Network uh, because it's not you know aside from last year just in general you know I'm going over for an article I'm writing the top ten podcasts that I listen to and like when I really broke it down and thought about it like you know right now it's campaign specific because that's what i've listened to for the last year but like you guys have really like got something special there it's just super funny and super entertaining and you know for me i have an emotional connection to it um so it's just thank you for for putting it out there uh it's just so so good Oh, thank you so much. That, that, that really means a lot uh, to, to hear that, you know, we, we have helped somebody. I, I know podcasts are that way for me. Uh, it's so easy as a podcast listener to develop such an intimate relationship with the person that you're listening to. Because I mean, if, if you're me and you listen to multiple shows a day, you spend more time listening to podcasts than you do talking to some members of your family. Uh, yep. <laughs> Which, like, that is such a powerful thing uh, about the medium. Uh, so thank you so much for listening, seriously. It, it, it means a lot that people out there are drawing value from what I do. Uh, it's very hard to do these things sometimes, uh, and it means so much to hear from people who are really affected by, by all the work that I put in for it. So thank you so much. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's there is you can tell the amount of work that goes into it. Um, and, and maybe I maybe as a podcaster, I, I know it a little bit better, too. But like you can you can definitely hear it. Uh, all the work that's put into campaign, all the work that's put into one shot that I've you know I've been starting to binge that, like I said. And, and it's and just seeing what you guys talk about on the net and, and you know, NPC and everything, all these little projects that you and, and, and one shot are doing. Um, I just I can see how much work and it, luckily right now it sounds like it still feels like passion for you. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't sound like you're gonna you're throwing the towel anytime yet. And if you do, just call call me, email me, so I can tell you, hey man, you stopped me from crying today. <laughs> uh, all right, before we let you go, throw out some plugs where people can find you. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to find me and talk to me, you can find me on Twitter. That's the best place. Uh, I am at OneShotRPG, um, all one word. Um, if you want to find my shows and listen to them, please head over to oneshotpodcast.com. There you'll be able to find one shot, our, uh, our, sh- our flagship series where we try out different role-playing games with rotating casts of players, uh, campaign, our ongoing Star Wars Edge of the Empire podcast, uh, with a consistent cast of some, some of the funniest people that I've ever met in my life, um, you can find our interview programs like Backstory, Modifier, and Talking Tabletop. If you're somebody who's really passionate about gaming and you want to learn more about the industry, uh, listening to those shows is a great way to meet some of the personalities involved. Um, and if you uh, like live streaming and videos, uh, please check out our Twitch page at twitch.tv slash oneshotrpg. Uh, we are hosting an event on February the 26th. I have no idea when this podcast is going up. Uh, it might be after the fact. Um, but we are hosting an event called The Dungeon Dome, which is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition gladiator match that we're sort of doing in a wrestling style. So we have some 
over-the-top heroes uh, who are going to be entering an arena in teams of two and battling it out to the death save for the entertainment of a live audience. Uh, that is going up on February 26th at 12 p.m. If you are not able to join us for the live performance, that is going to be archived on our Twitch page and then exported to YouTube. So you will definitely have a chance to check it out. Uh, yeah, I will uh, be sure because this is going out after that, but I will be sure that my audience knows about it ahead of time. Uh, I'll tweet about it and whatnot. That sounds like so much fun. Uh, I, I, I'm going to pray to God I can hop in and not have to deal with my kids going to bed <laughs> to, to, to watch that. Well, yeah, it'll uh, be like 12 p.m. Central Time, probably till 5. So there'll be at least part of it you'll be able to catch. I'll just I'll just have to sneak away from uh what's the twenty sixth? Is that a Sunday? Oh, okay. Yeah, I could sneak away. Perfect. Um <laughs> All right. Once again, James, thank you for being on Everything is Awesome. You can find me on Twitter at that nerdy Kev. You can find this show on Twitter at Real Awesome Pod. And of course, we're on the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network. Check them out at coretemparts.com. For Everything is Awesome, I'm Kev. We've been awesome right here on awesomepodcast.com. Everything is Awesome is part of Court and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, movie, and geek podcasts. Check out some of our other shows like TV Ate My Brain, Let's Chat with Revelin' Friends, and Podstalgic at courtandparts.com.